Every day, it seems like another big company has demanded employees return to the office, even though they committed to being fully remote or hybrid just a year ago. Many employees changed their lives based on this commitment, some moving to be closer to family, some living the wanderlust life, and others choosing to start families. These are big commitments that employees have made based on the decisions of their employers. And now they're being told, huh, just kidding, ha, figure it out because we need you back in the office or you don't have a job. This is bad. It harms an organization's reputation and it demoralizes morale. Not to mention recruiting talented people is challenging in today's world. I know for sure that if I worked for a company, I would 100% leverage the fact that I wanted to work remotely in every interview I had. The big boss CEOs are all over the airwaves and the internet saying you can't have an engaged culture if you're not in the office full time together. Some even go as far to say is that you can't hustle if you work from home. And others are touting a toxic environment for those that have a hybrid schedule. <clears throat> On this week's FinSucks podcast episode, we'll discuss why the problem isn't the work arrangement or even the environment. It's the leaders. If you're a communications pro who works hard, doesn't compromise quality, and gets the job done, welcome home. We'll share our tips, tricks, and stories, and together we will change the face of PR. Spin sucks, but we don't. With the Spin Sucks podcast, here's Jenny Dietrich. Welcome back to the Spin Sucks podcast. I'm Jenny Dietrich. A few weeks ago, Harvard Business Review published an article about hybrid work can become toxic. Toxic. Yes, absolutely. It can become toxic. Any type of work environment can become toxic if the culture is disrespectful, non-inclusive, unethical, cutthroat, and abusive, while also being pervasive and ongoing. But that has nothing to do with being hybrid or remote. It has everything to do with leadership and what is and is not allowed. I recently produced a podcast episode for a client. They hosted Dr. Tiffany Slater, the CEO of HR TaylorMade, who talks about how to handle political division in the workplace. While the discussion was not focused on toxic cultures, she said that allowing people to be offensive in their political views will create a toxic environment. She said something that will always stick with me. If you ignore the conversations, you are allowing them. That causes a toxic environment, not the fact that it's hybrid, fully remote, or even in person. It's what leadership does and does not allow. Instead of looking at how hybrid or remote work can lead to toxicity, let's look at the actions or inactions leaders take that lead to the toxic environment. So fourth grade was a little rough for my little one. There was a little boy in her class whom she's had a love-hate relationship with since they were four years old. He's not very nice to her. And we've spent a lot of time coaching her on how to handle him during class and at recess. Toward the end of the school year, she'd had enough. And she wrote a note to him that said, I hate you. Of course, it got confiscated and she got in trouble for it. When our teacher told me about it, I'll admit I had to stop myself from laughing at the ridiculousness of it all. This little boy had tortured her all year, including slamming her fingers in a window and trapping her inside a toy chest. But she got in big trouble for writing the note. She shouldn't have written the note. I'll give them that. And she was fed up. After she got punished at home, I said to her, I'm going to tell you something I tell our clients all the time. Never, ever put anything in writing that you don't want to come back and bite you later. I told her that if she can learn that lesson now, she'll be much further ahead than her peers when she enters the working world. That's because most adults haven't learned that having hard conversations over text or email 
can create a toxic culture. We tend to put things in writing we would never say to a person face-to-face. If you aren't willing to have the conversation on Zoom, on the phone, or in person, it should not be put in writing. Write the email if you must. Write the text if you must. But don't send it. Let it sit overnight until you feel better and then delete it. And then have the hard conversation. Leaders should encourage their teams to have conversations face-to-face as often as possible. We have the technology today that allows us to do that without having to sit across from one another in the same room. Many leaders who have demanded people come back to the office have eschewed that trust has been eroded because their colleagues are not together in person. Baloney. Trust is eroded because leaders allow people to behave badly without consequence. As Dr. Slater said, even ignoring bad behavior gives it a place to continue. My guess is that the organizations like mine that start as a remote first culture have figured out how to build trust among teams that aren't together in person ever. The organizations that went remote because of the pandemic and then hybrid because employees demanded it likely have a tougher time with this, but it's not impossible. We worked with a CEO who, in my mind, is one of the smartest marketers on earth. We were working with the client when he was hired, and one of the first things he did when he started his job was to ask people to turn off Slack while they were in meetings. He did this because he quickly discovered that people were not paying attention in meetings and were messaging one another about other people in the meeting, creating unnecessary gossip and making people feel uncomfortable. This edict was not met with joy. People were very unhappy to have to do this, but it ended up working. Morale improved almost immediately, and we watched trust begin to build. He wasn't afraid to make a hard decision and make people mad because he knew it was going to work in the long run. To this day, that client team is one of the closest-knit group of friends I've ever seen on the client side. He could have let the behavior continue and watch morale and trust continue to plummet and then blamed it on the fact that they were remote and not in person together, but he didn't. He was a leader through and through. My organization has been fully remote since 2011 when we were slow to recover from the bottom falling out of the economy and we had to give up our fancy, expensive, lease in downtown Chicago. We've certainly had our ups and downs throughout the years, but the culture has never been called toxic. I'll be back to explain why that is and what you can do to help your leaders or clients figure out how to lead in today's working environment. I'll be right back. There are two things I want you to know about. The first is the Fundamentals of Media Measurement course that we just launched with Muckrack, and the second is the PESO Model Certification. Both will help you evolve your career this year as you learn how to measure your work using the PESO Model to get you there. The Fundamentals of Media Measurement course can teach you how to measure your earned media efforts, create a successful measurement strategy, and report on your success. It will take you about two hours, but it has quick bite-sized lessons you can take when convenient. It has actionable tips, step-by-step approaches, and examples from Jonna Burke, Christopher Penn, and me. Go to mrac.co slash spinsucks to learn more, get registered, and start your measurement journey today. That's mrac.co slash spinsucks. Please be sure to use that link because I get a gold star every time someone registers, and I love gold stars. And for those of you who need to evolve your career, learn how to integrate the work you do with marketing and amp up your measurement efforts. The PESO model certification is for you. Step up your game with an academically accredited PESO model certification from Spin Sucks and the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. Learn more about that by going to spinsucks.com academy, or you can go to spinsucks.com and click on academy in the navigation. And now, 
back to the show. If your culture is toxic or you're watching a client's culture fall apart, the communicator's job is to help the leadership team understand it's their job to fix it. There isn't an easy answer, particularly if morale and trust are eroded. It takes time, hard work, and patience. And the answer most certainly is not requiring everyone to get back to the office so that magically everything is fixed. It can be done if you're committed to a hybrid or remote environment and want to avoid all the challenges the big bosses are touting in the media. Here's how. Number one, educate employees. This isn't a one-time conversation about fixing the culture and morale. It's an ongoing process that requires everyone to participate. Just like the CMO did with cutting off Slack access during meetings, it was about changing the habits that were creating toxicity and even microaggressions. Trust me, you can tell if someone is texting someone else in a meeting. Just watch people's faces. You know, everyone knows. And the people who are left out feel bad. They start to obsess over whether or not there's the subject of the side texting. This is bad behavior, and pretty much everyone does it. I always watch employees during client meetings, and 99% of leaders allow it to happen. When the CMO we worked with shut off Slack access, he explained why. He had to work with HR and have lots of meetings about how unfair it was. He was expecting people not to multitask, which was, in their minds, the only way they could get their work done and attend meetings at the same time. He stood firm, though. He listened to everyone's gripes, and he let them air their grievances. And then he educated them. He explained that he believed shutting off access during meetings and sometimes calling out people who were clearly emailing or texting was going to rebuild morale. And he was right. He wasn't popular. In fact, most people complained about him constantly in his first 90 days. And then they saw the positive changes he was having. It wasn't easy work for him, but he did what every leader should do. He fixed the problem and he rebuilt culture and trust. So educate employees. Number two is to create psychological safety. I will admit that I haven't always been the best leader. I came from a pretty toxic environment where everyone was expected to bill 40 hours a week and then do 20 hours of new business on top of that, not to mention all the administrative work such as timesheets and expense reports. I easily worked 80 to 100 hours a week. I thought that that was how things were done in the agency world. And so when someone complained about their measly 37 and a half weekly billable hour goal, I would roll my eyes and tell them to toughen up. I didn't have a lot of empathy, and I certainly didn't create room for psychological safety. I've since grown in my leadership abilities. I'm certainly not perfect, but I'm better. And I've insisted that my leadership team not roll their eyes or gossip about our colleagues, which I'm ashamed to admit used to happen quite a bit. We definitely had the attitude of, well, we did it. You won't die. It'll teach you some things. I had to do a lot of work to stop that behavior and even had to let a couple of people go who wouldn't change. Now we focus on a culture where you're free to discuss when and where you see toxic behavior and we do something about it. But I will tell you from deep experience, it's not easy to change that kind of behavior because in some cases, it's societal. You must do it anyway, even if it means losing an otherwise fantastic team member or having to be the bad guy for a few days. Create psychological safety. And number three is have ongoing conversations. The last thing you want to do is to instill the opportunity for people to feel safe to bring up issues. You want to encourage them to raise concerns or flag toxic experiences. As you're going through this growth period, you should have scheduled and consistent check-ins. You can add it as an agenda item to your weekly one-to-one -one meetings and ask your direct reports to do the same, or you can use it as a one-off meeting every month, weekly maybe too much. However you choose to do it, the point is to ensure the psychological safety foundation is set so people are comfortable with bringing issues up so that they can be fixed. 
As Dr. Slater said, if you ignore them, you're condoning them. Don't ignore the issues. Fix them. The work environment is not what causes toxicity. Those leaders who say you have to be in person to get anything done are really saying they don't want to do the hard work to create a culture in a different environment than they've had their entire careers. It is hard work. It takes self-awareness and high emotional intelligence, but it can and has been done. If you'd like to learn more about how the SpinSucks community can help you either work with your leadership team to evolve or do it yourself, you can find us at SpinSucks.com slash spin hyphen sucks hyphen community. That's SpinSucks.com slash spin hyphen sucks hyphen community. It's a community full of crazy smart professionals. It's free. It's fun. It's smart. And you might just learn a thing or two from your peers. I'll see you next week. If you're ready to change the face of PR, make sure you subscribe to the Spin Sucks podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and a review. 